You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Hi again. Do you know it's a lovely, it's just a lovely to experience that atmosphere of people meeting and greeting and saying hi to one another. I think that's really what church does best. Would anyone say amen? It's good to just connect with people. Okay, I want to look this morning at God's word for a few seconds. When I put up the word, when I hear the word, the future, I often think, so what do I know about the future? I'm going to be looking this morning at the future. I'm going to look at your future. Now, you may say, I've got enough problems for today. That's right, you do. You've got enough problems for today. But today I just want to just take your head a little bit forward and have a look at your future. And I want to, maybe, maybe it was the fact, maybe it was the fact that it was my birthday and I turned 52 um, yesterday that I began to think a little bit more about the future to which someone could accurately say, well, you should have thought about it about 32 years ago and it would have done you some usefulness. But it's something maybe that was in my head and my soul. But when I, when I was considering this week, I really felt that the Lord was showing me that this was the passage that we should take a look at this morning. And it's a kind of an unusual passage. I want to talk this morning about future faith. Faith for your future, but faith in the future. I'm going to be looking this morning at an unusual passage of scripture from Genesis chapter 50, 22 to 26. It's the last few verses of the book of Genesis. We're going to be looking at those in a few minutes. And I want to say just good morning, Cafe Church. I hope you've tuned in. I hope everything is operational for you below. And really want to say thanks to Alex and Isla this morning who are carrying the burden this morning. God bless you, lads. They're great. They're great leaders and great servants down there. Thank you so much. Anyway, meanwhile, back at the palace, I want to look at future faith. Now, I don't know if you've ever had one but I've had a few interviews in my time. Has anybody here ever had a job interview or a panel interview or something like that? Do you know what? There's this question that they always ask and I'm never ready for. Now you'd imagine that I should be ready for, right? But they always ask the same question. I've had a couple of interviews and, and they say, well, you know, towards the end of the interview, they say this question. You've probably been asked it. Where do you see yourself in five years time? And you know, I, I, the, the first time they, they asked me that question, I wasn't expecting it at all. I was very green to the whole interview process, um, and I didn't get the job, as it turns out. But uh, the first thought that came to my head was what my mother used to say any time you would say something to her about a few years' time. You'd say, but ma'am, in five years' time, such and such, she'd say, ah, we could all be dead by then. <laughs> my mother was such a happy person, such an optimist all the time. You know, and as the guy was sitting there, he said to me, so tell me, Michael, uh, where would you see yourself in five years' time? I just thought to myself, we could all be dead by then, my. <laughs> and it's a strange thing when you ask a Christian and when you ask somebody whose life is lived by a, a compass of faith, it's a very strange question. Where do you see yourself in five years' time? I can tell you the answer that definitely wouldn't get you the job is, wherever the Lord wants me to be, Bob. That's not going to get you the, it's not going to get you the job. The idea is that you're supposed to have some kind of a vision for the future. That you're supposed to kind of have a sense of, well, I'm thrusting through this and I'm building a future for myself. And you know, I think that that's a good thing. But you know when somebody says to you, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? What about if somebody asked you, where do you see yourself in ten years' time? Or maybe they said, where do you see yourself in 20 or 25 years' time? Maybe when your mortgage is paid off. Or your children have grown up and gone away to college and you've found a little bit of peace and space in your life again. Or maybe what if they said to you, where do you see yourself in 40 years' time? Maybe you've just started a job this week and you're going to have a 40-year career at which the end of it you're supposed to have this amazingly fantastic pension and you're going to be happy for the rest of your days sailing around the Greek islands painting landscapes. 
No, you're not. But when people ask me about those kind of questions, I have to say, as a person of faith, I don't know where I will be in five years' time. Six years ago, if you had told me we were going to be inside in this building in Grace Church, I would have said, no. I mean, don't get the idea that there was some amazing vision descended out of heaven. Somebody made an offer. We came and looked. We picked them up in it. And, And it was that simple. But we had no sense that it was coming before that. We just don't know sometimes. And where I am now, five years ago, I wouldn't have imagined where I was. But that's another thing. That's, that's my own private story and you don't want to be hearing that. And so I want to ask you this morning about your life. When you look forward, are you filled with joy? Are you filled with dread? Are you filled with hope? Are you filled with faith as you look forward into your life? I want to look at a guy this morning who had faith, not only when people said to him, where would you see yourself in five years' time? Where would you see yourself in ten years' time? This guy actually had a vision to see himself somewhere 400 years' time. 400 years. If somebody said to you, where would you see yourself in 400 years? Uh, Heaven? I'm going to be looking at the story of Joseph, just the last few verses from his life, the last little short episode of his life. I want to look at that. But I want to start off by pointing out something to you about Joseph. Joseph was literally living the dream. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, in the Bible, and I can't go into all of it because it, 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 it traverses 13 chapters in the Old Testament, actually 12, there's one little out, outlier in it, but it traverses 12 chapters in the book of Genesis, his story, and in that story, you discover a young man at the age of 17 who has an amazing dream, or has a series of dreams, where it appears that he's going to rise to greatness and everybody around him is going to bow, and everybody gets fed up and listen to Joseph and his dreams, not only that, but he was his dad's favorite, and so his brothers turned on him, all of his brothers. His nine big brothers turn on him, the people who are supposed to protect him, turn him and they sell him as a slave. And then when he gets to eat, and they sell him and they take him to Egypt, a country way to the south. And then when they get to Egypt, they sell him there in the slave market and he's bought by someone and he serves in that house for a while as a slave. Slaves didn't have great job conditions. And even while he was there as a slave, he ended up being accused of rape. And when he was accused of rape, he was jailed and put into an awful, an awful prison in Egypt and dreadful things happened to him. And even while the dreadful things were happening to him, this continuous echo keeps on happening through his narrative and it keeps on saying this and the Lord was with Joseph when he was accused in the wrong of rape the Lord was with Joseph when he was in the prison slopping in rather than slopping out the Lord was with Joseph And then something amazing happens. He interprets the dream of Pharaoh. And when he interprets the dream of Pharaoh, he becomes great because Pharaoh says, this is the man I need to run the country. And he becomes what's known as a viceroy. He becomes effectively the the guy who runs Egypt apart apart from Pharaoh. He's the next in command. And his family are restored to him. And his brothers are restored to him. And his father is restored to him. And everything that was bad in his life was literally undone. And so he literally began to live the dream life. He was powerful. He was wealthy. He was influential. He was prosperous. And he was blessed. And when we pick up this story, we're coming to the end of his life. I don't know about you, but I would love to be prosperous, powerful, influential, wealthy, and blessed. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe I'm the only one here. We pick up the story at the end of his life. Remember, this is where he's gotten to, to this high level in his life. And we read these last verses 
in the book of Genesis. May God bless us as we read his word this morning in Jesus' name. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. This was after his father died. Joseph lived to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations of his descendants, his, of, his, of descendants of his son Ephraim, and he lived to see the birth of the children of Manasseh's son Machir, whom he claimed as his own. He had lived a long life, seen his children's children's children. That is my prayer. I'd love to see my children's children. I'd love to see my children's children's children by the grace of God. And then he turns to his brothers and it says, Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of the land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land. He solemnly swore, solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so he says to the guys, lads, my goose is cooked. I'm finished. It's time to kick the bucket. I'm going to die now. But the Lord is going to come and help you. And something curious happens here. That, that Joseph is at this point in his life where he has achieved everything that he literally had dreamed of. All the dreams of God and all of the promises of God had come to pass. And he brought his family into Egypt. And now they're in, in a land called Goshen, which is up near the, uh, the, the Nile Delta. And they've got the best of the land. And they live in the best of places. And they've got the best of crops. And really, in many senses, his family, he, his descendants have all been incredibly blessed. But then he says this to them. God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. I want to say to some people who are here this morning, I prophesy to you that the Lord is going to come and help you. Where you're at now is not where you will always be. Who you are now is not who you will always be. I want to prophesy clearly to you this morning. If there's any ember of hope in your heart this morning, I want to fan it prophetically and by the Spirit of God and say, God is going to come and visit you and he is going to help you in Jesus' name. We're going to pray into that at the end. I really feel a sense of God in that. And he says he will, he will bring you back to the land he solemnly swore. But I love this. You see, the brothers are looking at Joseph, right? And, he's the, and he says, look, God is going to come and help you and lead you over this land of Egypt. But they're kind of going, what? Just, just lead us, what? Help us? We're sure, look, he's helped us. Look, we're prosperous. We're doing great. Our flocks and herds are increasing. Our people are increasing. Our, our prosperity is increasing. Everything is going well. Everything is going fantastically. It's going amazingly. You know, maybe even this morning, brothers and sisters, maybe everything is going amazing in your life. But I guarantee you this, you will need the help of God at some point in the future. And these guys are looking at their lives going, hang on a minute, this is, this is amazing. That, like, our, our, we, we've come down, we've been rescued from famine, we've been set up, we're seeing our children, we're seeing our flocks. This is a fantastic life. Why on earth would God come and, 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 and lead us out of this land? Surely this is the promised land. Joseph was living the promised land life. He was prospered and blessed. What could possibly be wrong? And he says he will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was his great-grandfather. Isaac was his grandfather. And Jacob was his father. And these, this was the promise that was given to them. This is the promise given to Abraham. This is back, I think, in Genesis 15. He gives them a promise and a prophecy. Because 
Abraham is really struggling. He's saying, Lord, what is going to become of all of, all of my life? What's going to become of me? What's my future to be? And the Lord says this to him. He says, the Lord then said to Abraham, you can be sure your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. They will be there oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And they will come away with great wealth. They'll come away with great wealth. And so Abraham receives this promise that they were going to get a land of their own, that they were going to be brought out, they were going to come up with great wealth. And I love Abraham then passes on that promise to his son Isaac. And, and, and he says, the Lord is going to give us a land of our own and we're going to be delivered from the slavery in Egypt and we're going to go up. And then Ab- Isaac passes it on to his son Jacob. And he says, Jacob, this is what's going to happen. The Lord is going to move upon us and he's going to give us a land of our own and he's going to prosper us and bless us and he's going to release us from slavery. And then Jacob passes on the promise to his son Joseph. And he says, Joseph, this is what's going to happen. The Lord is going to move upon you. He's going to deliver you out of this land of Egypt. And you're going to be brought up and you're going to be prosperous and you're going to be wealthy. But the curious thing about it is that each one of these men bequeath or they give, as it were, in their will what they don't possess. They don't own it yet. All they're offering is some promise for down along the line. Imagine I'm lying on my deathbed 52 years from now. Amen. I'm 104 years of age. And I call over my oldest son. Robin. Robin, come here. And he comes over and he says, what is it, Dad? Because by then he's like 89 himself. What is it, Dad? And I say, my son, I give to you. County Kerry. <laughs> and then I call over my son Fionn. Say, Fionn, come. Fionn says, what is it, Dad? Says, I give to you County Limerick. <laughs> and then over comes my youngest son, Rory. Rory, and, and he says, what is it, Dad? I said, Rory, I give to you the six counties of the north of Ireland. No, no. I, <laughs> I give to you County Cork, the most beautiful land of them all. And they all have a chat in the corner and go, he's after giving me County Kerry. She, he doesn't own County Kerry at all. What's he talking about? He's after giving me County Limerick. She does, well, he doesn't own County Limerick. And it was like that. He was saying, hey, Isaac, I give to you the promised land. But it's not your land, Dad. And Dad died only owning a grave, even in despite of all those promises. He gave them something that they didn't own. And the thing about the promises of God is what we don't own them now sometimes, do we? We don't own them yet. The Lord says, a day will come when I will bring you into healing and health and wholeness, but you're not walking in that yet. But that doesn't mean it's any less valid. That was the promise of God. But I love what Joseph says next. He calls the brothers and he says this to them. He says, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and he said, When God comes to help you and to lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. So even when he dies, the promise is still outstanding. But he does something incredible. He says, lads, I'm going to die. 400 years from now, God is going to come and deliver you. And when he delivers you, take my bones with you. Because I want to be buried in the land of promise. 
See, I know we're all young and cool and hip and we don't like to talk about things like that. But he believed God that 400 years after he was gone, God was still going to honor his promise and his word to him. Hallelujah. 400 years. That's like getting a promise back in 1619. Who in 1619 said in 2019, I want to be buried in Cork? No one said it. Even before Cromwell came. Yeah, you remember him, don't you? Before Cromwell came. Imagine getting a promise that far back. And so he has this, this, this promise. And he's not 100% sure how it's all going to work out. And I tell you something, you're not 100% sure how it's all going to work out. But I guarantee you this, it's going to work out. It's going to happen. I can't tell you, I can't draw you a picture of how it's going to work out. But for him, he wanted his bones to be carried and buried in the proper place. I love what Corrie Tenboom, a great Christian woman, and a woman who survived Ravensbrook at concentration camp, she said this. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Hallelujah. Your future is known by God, and you know God, so therefore you know that he knows your future. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to go somewhere with this now in a second, because this is the part that, I think this is when it gets interesting, right? And this is why I think it gets interesting, and I think this is where it gets challenging. I'm going to go forward into the New Testament. I'm going to read from the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, it talks about all the people who lived and died by faith. And it records this about Joseph. I love what it says about Joseph. It says it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently to the, that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. And he even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. He commanded them to take his bones. He believed the promise so much that he commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. So every time they saw the coffin of Joseph over the next 400 years, they would get hope and they would say, the reason why Joseph isn't buried in the pyramid over there is because he said he doesn't want his bones to be buried here in Egypt. He wants them to go back to the promised land. And while his body is above the ground, that means that that promise is still outstanding and still must be fulfilled but I love why he what the Hebrew writer the Hebrews Paul does here when he picks out this passage because all of the other people in Hebrews were famous for incredible acts of faith mighty acts with the sword for outstanding achievement awards left right and center but when they come to Joseph they commend his faith because he gave instructions about how he should be buried you see, they didn't commend Joseph's faith because he survived being sold as a slave. Joseph isn't commended for his faith because he interpreted dreams. He isn't commended for his faith because he rose from slavery and from the prison up to the palace. The Joseph isn't commended for faith because he saw his, gen his, his descendants down to the third and fourth generation. Joseph isn't commended for faith because he rescued his whole nation by his wise and learned actions. That's not what he's commended for by faith. He's commended by faith because he gives instructions about his bones, something that wouldn't happen for 400 years. 
And you see, brothers and sisters, sometimes we can look at the outside of our lives and look at our lives and go, well, this is going well, or this is not going well, or this is going right and this is going wrong. What's wrong with my faith that I'm not walking in the full blessings of all of God has to give? And sometimes we look on the outside of people's lives and we go, wow, that guy's really blessed. He's got a good home. He appears to have a good family. And yes, these are good blessings. I don't want to dismiss that at all. But I want to say this to you. Do not assume that what you see on the outside is what's going on on the inside. And don't assume that just because somebody has a material sense of blessing or has even a relational blessing, that that means that they're walking in everything that God has for them. You see, when jo- all the things that Joseph achieved are the very things that I pray for. I want to see my children's children. I want to see God blessing my life and blessing my relationships. He had all of those, but he still believed for, as what Apple call the one more thing. One more thing. And he dies in faith. If I was to look at him, I go, Joseph, what's the matter with you? You're blessed. What else can go right in your life? He says, but God has still made one more promise. And all of the things that we look at people's lives and consider them blessed for, Joseph says, ah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's nice. But there's still an outstanding promise of God. There's still something out there that I want to experience. There's still a promise of God yet to be fulfilled in my life that he could make a commitment about for 400 years later. Now, I don't know, brothers and sisters, and and, and I doubt it, that anybody here is holding out for a promise of God for 400 years time. But can I say this to you? Many of us here are the product of the prayers of people who have long since gone to be with the Lord. I'll tell you something. Sophia was praying this morning for the cities and for the nations. There have been people praying in Cork for decades. Decades before I became a Christian. That God's move would be here. And that there would be a presence of God and churches in, 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 in Cork. That's what they were praying for when there was only two or three gathered. And now there are literally thousands of Christians in Cork. And that you today are probably part of the answer to so many prayers. That people were long since gone. You see... When Joseph looked at his life, he looked beyond his life. When we talk about having faith for the future, is it possible for us to have future beyond our lives? You see, we pull our lives so often down into these, these moments, the, 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 these minutes and these hours that we can count, and that's wise. But maybe we need to have a consideration for what our ultimate destination is. Maybe we need to have a consideration for that one thing. You see, I don't know and I really don't care how successful or how brilliant or how, how uh, amazing somebody's life and ministry is. In my experience, every Christian comes to the end with a promise outstanding. Because that's how God works. That's how God works. I love it when Moses, Moses writes what's known as the prayer of Moses is recorded um, in the Psalms. Uh, and this is what Moses says. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And as we go on in our lives, perhaps what we need to be looking at was, what we need to be looking at is maybe God's priorities. What are God's priorities for our lives? And it's, it's, it's a challenge because I'd love to just say to you, well, this morning, uh, uh, God's priorities are cars and girls. Uh, girls for the guys, obviously. Uh, that, that's what I'd love to say. That, that would be, you know, but brothers and sisters, perhaps when we number our days, we will gain a heart of wisdom. What's he saying there, Lord? Remind us of how short our lives are. 
Joseph, 110 years, he still had a very short life in relative terms to the history of mankind. And here he is, here is Moses saying, Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to count our days. And you know, when we begin to think like that, we begin to realize that time is really actually very important. And what we invest our time in is really, really important. Now, I like sport, okay? I'm going to openly admit, I like hurling and I like rugby. They're probably the two sports I like the most. And I like watching them, but you know, I'm not going to invest in them. Why? Well, because that's not what my future is. That's not what God has called me to. They're not the priorities of my life. And when we look at our lives, we do need to, we need to examine and go, what have I done with my life? What have I done with my time? And sometimes when I look back at my life, I go, ah, what have I done with my time? I don't know if it's your experience, but it's my experience. Have you ever gotten up from watching the TV for a marathon stint of maybe four hours or something like that and gone, what have I just wasted my time doing? Am I the only one who's experienced that? If you've experienced that, will you raise your hand? Amen. I'm feeling so comforted that I'm just not alone this morning. I know many of you out there never watch the television or would, you know, I know throw holy water under something. I don't know what you do, but, but you know, sometimes I get up and I go, what have I just done with a few, or worse still, you go to the cinema and you see a really bad film and you think to yourself, that's an hour and a half of my life. I will never get back. It's gone. And you wonder about your priorities. But I want to talk to you about the priorities that we have in our lives when we pray and say, Lord, Lord, would you bless my work? And it's fantastic to pray for that. Will you bless my home? Absolutely, Lord. Will you grant protection to me and my family? Yes, absolutely. Wonderful. But do we have priorities beyond that? And sometimes you can get to a stage in your life. Maybe this morning you're, I don't know, whatever age. Say you're 52. And you say to yourself, what have I done with my life? Well, do you know what? I have good news for you. I have good news for you. You can't go back to the start. No Michael O'Donovan message is complete without a C.S. Lewis quote, and this is this morning's one, when he says this, you cannot go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you can, where you are, and change the ending. Start where you are and change the ending. Lord, would you adjust my priorities this morning? You can start where you are and say, Lord, would you visit my life this morning? And I want to pray as we come to the end, I want to pray that we would bring that one thing, that one outstanding thing that's left. But I want to finish off with the story of Joseph just before I do. Joseph lives to 110, and this is one of the points I want to make about it. And that is, he was taken from his home at the age of 17. So all of Joseph's good memories are associated with this prosperous place where he grew up. He grew up in a, in a good land and in a good place. And so he comes now towards the end of his life. He comes towards the end of his life and God has blessed him in every way, but he still has this outstanding thing. And I always think about how when, you know, if you think about the Irish, when they go to, I can only think about the Irish because I'm sure it's exactly the same for the Polish and for the Brazilians and for the Germans and the Dutch and the Russians and whatever country you're from. I'm sure it's the same, that your heart is always in your homeland. There's something about your homeland that your heart always belongs to. The thing about the Irish is that the Irish's heart is in their homeland, even when they're in their homeland. You know, they can sing songs like, my heart is in Ireland, it's where I long to be. Its streams and its valleys are calling to me. I remember sing, singing that with tears running down my face. And I lived in Cork. <laughs> There's something about our homeland. There's something about that place where we belong. And in a strange way, as 
Joseph comes to the end of his life. He's blessed, but he knows, I don't belong here. God has something else. God wants to bring you to the place where you belong. Would anyone say amen? And by that, I'm not saying buy a plane and fly back to Poland tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying, okay, just for the record. But God wants to take it to his place, a place where he, where you belong. And I love how this chapter ends here in Joshua 24. The bones of Joseph, which the Israelites brought along with them when they left Egypt, were buried in Shechem. And the plot of land Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor for a hundred pieces of silver. This land was located in the territory allotted to descendants of Joseph. He's home at last. Hallelujah. 400 years later, he's home at last. He's home at last. Brothers and sisters, for some of you here this morning, there's a longing in your heart. And the Lord would say to you this morning, I have a home prepared for you. Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, he said, I would have told you. There's a home for you at last at the end and the promise is fulfilled. Last verse for the morning before we start off. The band, lads, you can come up if you want to. Thank you. Last verse of the morning before you finish, and this comes from Hebrews, and I want to pray then after this. It says this, all of these people, talking about all the people of faith, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph, died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. They saw it all from a distance, and they welcomed it. Brothers and sisters, can I say to you this morning, the best is yet to come. Would anyone say amen? Amen. The best is yet to come. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. This morning I know that there are people in this room who desperately need God to visit them and to come and help them. I'm going to ask you, would you close your eyes this morning? For some of you, you may never have called out to God before. This may be the first time that you're saying, Lord, would you come and visit my life? Would you come and help me? Lord, would you come and visit my life? Would you come and help me? If that's your prayer this morning, and that is where your reality is this morning, I'm going to ask you, would you raise your hand? If your prayer this morning is, Lord, you see where I'm at? Would you come and visit my life? I need your help right now. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I see your hands. I see your hands. Can you keep them up just for a moment? If it's your prayer this morning to say, Lord, would you give me future faith? Would you help me, Lord, to take my eyes up off the day-to-day survival, Lord, and to look beyond and to see your vision for my life, Lord? Will you give me the faith to believe that the best is yet to come? Lord, would you give me eyes and a vision for a future time in my life, a future faith, as it were? If that's your prayer this morning, would you raise your hand? Lord, make me like Joseph. Make me like Abraham. Make me like Isaac. Make me like Jacob. Will you raise your hands? We're going to pray here. We're going to pray here at the front in a second. The guys are going to lead us in the song, Faithful You Are. And we're going to trust in the Lord as we cope. I'm going to ask you to come to the front as we sing. And the reason I'm asking you to come to the front is very simple. Not because of me, but sometimes when we take a step, we are beginning a journey of faith just by walking to the front and praying about these things this morning. The guys are going to play. Let's come and pray together. We'll only be a few moments. You have poured out of grace You brought me out of darkness You have filled me with peace Giver of mercy You're my help in time of need Lord, I can help my 
when my people who are called by my name call upon me I will come and visit them Lord Jesus will you visit your needy people this morning in Jesus mighty name Lord we pray this morning for our lives Lord that we could look beyond the present would anyone say amen, amen. Lord I pray we would look beyond the current difficulty would anyone say amen the current issue the current problem the current knot that is tied even Lord we may have to look beyond the current apparent blessing Lord Lord I pray that we would have future faith Lord I pray Lord we would have faith not only for this generation but for the next generation and the generation to come and the generation to come would anyone say amen Lord I pray that we would finish our lives when our days come to an end Lord still expecting your promise would anyone say amen Lord that we would live lives of faith and Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, for a restoration of your hope in hearts and minds and lives this morning, Lord. I know there are people who feel they're facing hopeless situations this morning, like the children of Israel would eventually face a hopeless situation, Lord. I pray that we would remember your goodness to us. Remember your purpose for us, Lord. That you have plans for us, Lord. Plans to give us a hope and a future as you promised the exiles in Jeremiah Lord Jesus Lord we commit our days to you Lord help us to count them Lord and not to whittle them away and not to wish them away waiting for the next thing Lord but Lord that we would count our days and live wisely Lord Jesus can I ask you could we all raise our hands just for a moment we prayed this morning Sosha sang it the people of Japan had experienced it but I want to say prophetically this morning that the Lord is going to rain on dry land in these hearts and lives this week you are going to know the rain and the presence 
and the refreshing power of God fall upon your life. This week, things that you thought were long since dried up and hardened and unchangeable, even your own heart will know the softening rain of heaven falling upon it this week. I pray and declare that in Jesus' name. Lord, we commit our lives into your very hands this morning, Lord. I pray for your restoration of hope for us. pray for your blessing upon your people and your protection upon your people, Lord. I pray, Lord, we would walk out the door a people of faith, not just expecting everything to work out okay, not expecting everything to just be all right, but for the future to be blessed. Lord Jesus, I pray this one last thing. Lord, I pray that for every one of us, we would keep in our hearts that one last thing, Lord, that big prayer in our lives, Lord, that we would believe and expect all of the promises of God to come to pass in our lives, Lord. And we would live, as it says in the book of Joshua, that all of the people of Israel confessed and said that all of the promises of God came to pass to them. Lord, I thank you that you honor your word. And all of you, all that you say, Lord, is yes and amen. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. God bless us and go with us. And watch over us in this coming week. In Jesus' name. Over to the guys. They're going to close. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs, guys. If you want to grab a cup of coffee with us. And don't forget we're here again on Tuesday night. And of course, we're here in another hour. God bless you.